Hope you had a good lunch, and hopefully you'll stay awake, amen, <laughs> after eating a good lunch. So, uh, hope you got plenty to eat. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <coughs> uh, we're going to deal this, this afternoon on uh, two of the most common sins that we tend to have in our lives and uh, how to overcome them. And I want to look at some things here from, from God's Word that uh, I know will be a, a help to us and things that we can put into practice in our lives uh, from a very practical standpoint. <clears throat> when I was in college, I, one of the professors that I had uh, had us do a, a, a project, and I've shared it with you before, on the topic of pride and proud and haughty. And he had us look up every verse in Scripture through the course of the semester uh, that dealt with the subject of pride or haughtiness, uh, proud things, different things like that, and to write uh, a sentence about each of the verses and turn it in at the end of the uh, uh, the course. And uh, every course he taught, it didn't matter what subject it was that he was teaching, he had every class do the same project every semester that he taught it. And um, we got to the end of the year, we turned our projects in, and uh, he asked uh, the last week of school, he, I, he had them stacked there on his desk, and he sat on the corner of his desk, he said, um, now what have we learned from this project? And several people raised their hands, and um, they would give a principle that they had learned about pride or haughtiness, and uh, they would say, well, uh, you know, pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And, uh, they would talk about that, and he said, well, that's a good point, but he said, that's not the purpose of the lesson, it's not what we're learning from the lesson. And after five or six fellows raised their hands and tried to give um, the answer to the, the professor's question, uh, most of us realized we probably weren't going to get it. So we needed to probably keep our mouth quiet and let the professor share with us what we should have gotten out of the lesson. And he made this statement. I've never forgotten it, and it was true. At first, when he said it, I thought, no, I, I don't think he's right on that. But the older I get, the more I realize he's, he's right on it. And the, the, the answer he gave was this. Every sin has its root in pride. Every sin has its root in pride. I sat there as a young college student. You know how you are. You're smart back then. You know, before you've gotten older and realized you didn't know everything. Uh, and I started thinking, no, I don't think he's right. I think I could think of some sins that probably didn't have their root in pride. But the more I took it back to its furthest most thought, where it had the little seed uh, starting to bear fruit in the life that would lead to the sin, every one of them that I could think of had its root in pride. Probably one of the greatest sins that we have to battle on a daily basis is this thing of pride. And uh, we're going to look at some things here. If you will, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul writing here in verse number 9. Uh, back up just a little bit in verse number... Uh, verse number 7, and uh, we'll go down to about verse number 10. <clears throat> Paul says, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure." Now, he just finished talking about uh, a person that he knew that in a vision or in person, he wasn't sure which, had been caught up to the third heaven and how he had had a vision. And so understand where Paul's coming from. He doesn't want men to glory in him. For the experience that he had. By the way, any preacher worth his salt, if there was something like this that happened 
in this day and age, I want you to notice the humility of the Apostle Paul. He was not trying to draw attention to himself for having had the experience, but he's trying to draw the attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. These guys that get on television nowadays and claim they have these visions, and it's all about them, there's something wrong with that. First of all, they ate too much pizza last night probably to get the vision to begin with. And secondly, it's all about them. So understand where Paul's coming from here. He certainly has a wherewithal for people to look at him and say, man, he must be somebody. If, he was, if God brought him up to the third heaven and showed him these things, there must be something about this, this man, the Apostle Paul. And Paul said, wait a minute, hold on. He goes on, verse 7, "...unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations." There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Two times in verse 7, he uses the phrase, lest I should be exalted above measure. And we don't know what the thorn is. People have speculated. Some people say it was his eyesight. Some people say it was his physical appearance. There's a lot of things there that that people speculate on. But one thing I know for certain from verse 7 is that this thorn of the flesh was a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. It was something that was going to cause detriment to his ministry. It was going to cause a hardship and discouragement for his ministry and uh, something that was going to be devastating to him. And twice he says that this, this thorn of the flesh was given to him lest he should be exalted above measure. <clears throat> now he says in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take no pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this afternoon. The Lord, speak to our hearts, encourage us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn to be watchful and vigilant for this thing of pride that so easily disguises itself and creeps into our lives before we even realize it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be aware of. For this is one of the things that you call an abomination. And yet so often... We are willing to tolerate and even justify it in our lives. And Lord, I believe that with all of my heart, when we harbor pride, that we lose, we lose the power and the leading and the direction of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want nothing more than to be able to be used in this world to accomplish your work. And we know and understand that we must have the power of Almighty God resting upon us to accomplish the work. And Lord, because of this, I pray that you would help us in this matter to give serious and diligent thought to it. Lord, that this would not just be another message that we hear and that we sit through on a Sunday afternoon and feel like we've done our Christian duty to attend a church service. But Lord, that this would impact our hearts and our lives. And I pray that you would help it to be something that we can gain the victory over. Help us to be ever vigilant for it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing to me that 
the issue of pride and humility is a very difficult subject to even teach or preach on. My assistant pastor that I had in Florida and I used to joke around all the time that uh, we had, I had written a book, and the title of it was The World's Ten Most Humble Men and How I Trained the Other Nine. And the truth of that, and we'd, we'd joke and laugh about the title of that book, and you know, we were already planning the sequel to it, which was The Road to Humility and How I Walked It. And uh, the truth is, in both of those titles, the implication and the, the, the sarcasm of it is this, that we take pride in our humility sometimes. And in the very fact of trying to become humble, we are proud of it. And it becomes something of a, a conundrum in our hearts because how do you then gain victory over this thing of pride? I heard a definition of, of humility one time that I thought was a great definition. <clears throat> and uh, the fellow said this. He said, humility is, is certainly not thinking more of yourself than you should, nor is it thinking less of yourself than you should. It's simply not thinking of yourself. I thought, boy, what a definition. Because I don't know if you struggle with this as much as I do in my life, but I find more and more on a daily basis that this becomes a constant struggle and a constant battle. Several years ago, I became the pastor of our church down in Florida after my dad passed away. It was right at the beginning of the recession period and the, the hardships that hit there financially. And our church went through some unbelievable hard times, just difficult, difficult times. And I stayed there for eight years, and I, the thought was constantly on my heart and on my mind that if I left, the church would fail. If I left, they would never get another preacher in here that would stay through some of the things that we were dealing with and going through. And towards the end, right before I resigned down there, God showed me something, and that was this, that that thought in and of itself, as noble as it was, as, as as, as much as we would look at that and say, boy, that was good, Brother Greg, you stuck through the storm and you were there. The truth is, nothing but pride was causing that thought to be in my heart and in my mind. That God would be so limited that He could not keep that church afloat without me. The arrogance of something like that. And I say that to my shame because the truth is, if you had asked me if I was proud in those areas, I would have said, no, the Lord is certainly humbled me in some areas. And, and I say all that to say this, that pride many times disguises itself and we mark it as a mark of character because we call it by a different name. And yet it many times is nothing more than just pure pride. Anytime that we get to the place where we become self-reliant, or self-sufficient, or self, and you can add whatever word you want to after it, it is pride. Anytime that we get to a point where the things that we're involved in become egocentric and center around us and not around God, it is pride. I want you to notice that God is not interested in our strengths. Do you know that? Do you understand that from this passage? I'm, I'm teaching P.E. this year, you know, because I'm such a physical specimen. And uh, I get out there in front of these boys, and, boy, they look up to me as they want to be a 300-pound bald guy when they grow up. 
and they are excited about P.E., let me tell you. And we're playing basketball. I've probably forgotten more about basketball than most of them know. And uh, I, I look at that. That was pride, by the way, when I said that. And I look at that, and we, we get out there on the basketball court. And I've, I've been doing it now for a couple of weeks. And we get out there to play, and we get the basketballs out. And the th- first thing the guys want to do is they want to they scrimmage. They want to have a game. They want to play, play ball. And uh, they get out there, and they start doing uh, what they want to do, you know, playing offense and defense and everything. Well, one thing they don't like for me to do is for me to say, okay, we're going to play defense only. Your team is going to play defense only and learn how to play defense. Oh, Brother Greg, we, don't, we, we, want, we want to dribble the ball. We want to shoot the ball. And I keep trying to tell them and explain to them that, look, you're, you're already okay at shooting the ball and dribbling the ball. I've seen that. I, I'm not interested in what you're good at. I, we don't need to practice that which you're already good at. What we need to do is try to strengthen the areas that you need strength in. And when God looks at us, He's not interested in the things that we're good at. He's interested in our weaknesses. Because that's when He shines the most. That's when we bring more glory to Him. Is by saying, even in spite of this weakness, look what God has done. Paul even says this as he gets down in verse number 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And He said unto me, Thy great, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in Weakness. Now, the word my is not in front of the word weakness, but whose weakness do we think he's speaking about here? He's not speaking about God's weakness. He's speaking about his own weakness, isn't he not? The Apostle Paul's weakness. The weakness of man. And God is interested in the things that we can't do because those are the things that he can come behind us and lift us up in and strengthen us in. And by the way, when he does that and we're only uh, relying upon him, it's kind of hard for us to take credit for it. it. It makes it more difficult for us to be thinking of ourselves higher than we should. Look with me, if you will, in the book of James, chapter number 4 for a moment. James, chapter number 4. I was sitting in a golf cart with a preacher friend of mine about 15 years ago. My dad was uh, going through... Some difficult times and uh, with his cancer, we were battling some things. And uh, I was sitting there, and he, he was almost bedfast at that point. And I was sitting there in the golf cart with a preacher friend of mine at a youth conference. We were talking. He said, how are you doing? He said, how are, how are things going with your dad? And I said, well, I said, God's grace has been very real. Those of you that have been through difficult times know what I'm talking about when I tell you that it was almost like you could feel God's grace, almost like his, it was tangible. And I, I said, you know, I don't know if God gave our family more grace during this time to bear us through it, or whether that grace was there all along and maybe we just became more sensitive to it because of the situation we're going through. I said, I'm not sure which. But I said, God's grace has been very real to us. A few weeks later, I was reading the book of James. I came across this passage in chapter number 4. The Bible says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you. I could use all the grace I can get. I'm thankful that where sin abounded, God's grace did much more abound. 
But the Bible teaches us that when it comes to this thing of grace, when this thing of pride gets root in our hearts, it causes that grace to not be given to us. In fact, it says God resisteth us. More grace is given to those that are humble. Look with me, if you will, in Philippians chapter 2. I love this passage. I've read it for many, many years. And it took a number of years of me being familiar with it and studying it and even preaching out of it to realize the thrust and the subject matter of Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians 2 and verse number 3, I'm sorry, verse number 5, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. I want to stop there for a moment, and when I read this passage years ago and preached on it, my, my, my theme for the message and what I was trying to get across is that we're all to be renewed by the renewing of our minds, Romans chapter number 12 and verse number 2, that we're to be renewed in the renewing of our minds and the inner man and the mind of Christ. And I use that in a general speaking sense and the idea being that you and I ought to gain the mind of Christ. And by the way, there are passages of Scripture that deal with that and deal with the idea that we need to think of, of holy things and things that are right and things that are pure and things that are just and so on. But understand this, that when Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Philippi in chapter number 2, he's not dealing here with having a broad sense of the mind of Christ. He's speaking here of a specific thought process or a specific attribute of Christ's mind. Look with me as he says on this in verse number uh, 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. If there was ever a person in the world that could think they were equal with God and it would not be a problem, it would have to be the Lord Jesus Christ because he was God. By the way, he's the only one who could ever think that and not think that it's robbery to be equal with God. But made himself, look with me, verse number 7, but made himself of what? No reputation. And took upon him the form of a king. Is that what your Bible says? No, mine either. It says the form of a what? Servant. Servant. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled Himself. Now, now watch with me. I know we just ate and, and we're tired, but watch this for a minute. We just spent a service dealing with having a right view of God. The idea that He is infinite, that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Whatever we think Him to be, if we take the furthest stretch of our imagination and say, that is what my God is, we have not even started. He is infinitely beyond that. And for him to do what it says in verse number 7 is certainly, if anything, a mark of humility. But made himself of no reputation. Wait a minute. It just said in the verse before that this is the one that could say, I'm equal with God and it would not be a problem. But he makes himself of no reputation. He takes upon him, not the form of a king, but the form of a what? A servant. He doesn't make himself in the likeness of deity. He makes himself in the likeness of what? Man. And he humbles himself and becomes obedient unto death, paying a price 
for sin, which he had never done, but which you and I have all done. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Notice this, that when Paul was speaking to the church at Philippi in in Philippians chapter 2, and he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, he is speaking here of the humility of our Lord and Savior. He is not speaking here of broad sense of view of, 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 of having the holiness, the separation, the justice of God. He's speaking here specifically of the humility of God. Why? Because it's one of the greatest things that you and I battle. And as our greatest example, the Lord Jesus Christ must needs have done this for our sake. We could look at ourselves and say, if He can humble Himself, being all that He was, then certainly I can accomplish humbling myself. Because I am nowhere near what He was. This self-sufficiency, this idea of uh, stick to it. I, I, I'm thankful. You know, I, I teach my son quite often, be a man, be a man, stick to it. Man, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, you know. And I think there's some character in that. I think there's nothing wrong with teaching some things like that. But when we teach it to the point of self-sufficiency, when we teach it to the point that uh, in ministry, uh, you know, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to serve God and I'm going to serve God and, and I don't really need God. I'm just going to serve Him. There's something wrong with that. There, there, there used to be a day when men of God would get in their prayer closets and, and begin weeping and say, God, I need you. There used to be a time when, when parents would get their families around family altars and say, Lord, we need you. Nowadays, we get together and we tell God how good we're doing as a family and leave Him out of the mix. Why? Because we have pride. The second problem that we have, and then we're going to look at how we conquer these two in just a moment. The second problem that I feel like we face on a regular basis is one of apathy. One of apathy. And surprisingly, apathy can stem from the pride See, what typically happens is we get excited about the things of God. And we get to the point where maybe serving God even is easy and the, the fruit of serving is just, it just seems to happen. And boy, things are going great and I am on the mountaintop. And it is during those times that we have the tendency to be proud and kind of put our life on cruise control spiritually. And that's when we start saying, God, I'm doing okay. I, I really don't have a whole lot to come to you with today. I don't really need a lot because, boy, things are just going so good today. And that's when the pride begins to creep in. And then something happens and, and a difficulty comes our way. And all of a sudden the speed bump in the road hits and... Because we've gotten to the point of self-sufficiency and we've gotten to the point of having that, that grit in our crawl and we're, well, we're just going to stick to it and it's easy to do when you're on the mountain to say, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to hang in there and I'm going to stay at it. And then, and then the difficulty t- comes. We still don't have that crying out to God because we're self-sufficient. 
We just look at it as a bump in the road. We'll get on the other side and we'll just keep going like things were. But before long, it leads to discouragement. We get discouraged by the difficulties. Lord, this isn't what I signed up for at all. I've known Christians that get saved and, boy, they're like coming on like a house of fire. You you like being around new Christians? You ever be around new Christians? And they're exciting, aren't they? I mean, they believe God can do anything. (laughs) They haven't learned yet like we have. We joke about that, but that's the truth of the matter. They come to God with simple childlike faith, just believing He can. We've gone through the difficulties. We've gone through the point of discouragement, and before long we're disappointed in the things of the Lord. Because it didn't turn out the way we thought it should. It's not long before we have a defeated life. We begin to say, Lord, I'm just at a point where I've done all I know to do, and that's the problem. (laughs) Pride. I've done all I know to do. When what we should have been saying all along is, Lord, I can't do this. If anything, I need you. I'm so sorry for that. And it's not long before that zeal that we had, that excitement we had on the mountaintop, it dies. And now we become apathetic. You don't know how many people I have knocked on their doors, said, hey, I'm from such and such Baptist church. Oh, I used to go to church. I used to go to a Baptist church. In fact, I remember riding a bus. I got baptized in a Baptist church. I don't know how many times I've knocked on doors and I've heard this. I used to pastor a church. What happened? Discouragement, defeat, that led to apathy. To a point of I don't care. How do we overcome these things? These are two things, and and by the way, they happen to every single one of us. As God's people, they happen happen to every single one of us. And and, and I don't know about you all, but at least in my life, I don't always see it coming. There's times it's so well disguised that it creeps in and it even gets a foothold before I even realize it's there. How do we overcome this? How do we get victory in these areas of our lives? Well, aren't you glad God gives us victory in it? He does. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Peter chapter number 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. Verse number 6. The Bible says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. If you have a pen, you ought to underline those four words. Mighty hand of God. That He may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Get that underlined. Look right up here for a second and watch this. This is I love this. One of the things that I find in my life is the closer I get to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the more I realize how sinful and undone I am. Hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter number 6. And I think one of the great, great illustrations. I'm thankful when the Bible illustrates itself, aren't you? Isaiah chapter number 6. And I want you to see this. And by the way, this isn't the only time you'll see this in Scripture or something similar. Verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Boy, it'd do good for us to get a proper view of God again. We live in a day and age where we have no, no reverence for God, it seems like. We, we refer to him as the, 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 the man upstairs or the, the good old boy. And can I tell you this? Not my God. My God is a king of kings and he's a lord of lords and he is high and he is lifted up. The Bible says this, Above it stood the seraphims, each one having six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And these seraphims, I love this. Brother Harold and I, a while back, several months ago, we were talking about how do these things must look, you know, trying to get a description of them. And here they got six wings. I, I don't know, I can't fathom this, how they, how they look, but they've got two wings that they cover their face, and two they cover their feet, and with two wings they, they, they fly around the throne. And notice what their job is. Verse number, five, uh, verse number three. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Man, if that doesn't give you chills about who God is, I don't know what will. I mean, this kind of helps us get a little bit excited here. This is the one that loved me. This is the one that lets me come to Him and come straight to His throne and say, Father, I have a need. What a thought. The posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. Now I want you to notice what Isaiah says here in verse number 5. Then said I... Woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king. Which king? You only need to refer to him as the king, because there's only one that's referred to by that title, and that is the king of all kings. I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There's something that takes place in this passage that I had a fellow say one time when I was in college. He said this, two things that will change your life. When you see yourself the way that God sees you. And when you see Him as He really is. And I have found this. That the closer we draw to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more undone we seem to be. If we have a problem with pride, it's because we need to be drawn closer to Him. If we have a problem with thinking higher of ourselves than we ought to think, it's because we need to draw closer to Him. Looking back now at 1 Peter, I want you to understand that with this passage in Isaiah chapter 6 in mind, look with me in 1 Peter chapter 5 once more now as we read this and understand you'll see all of this in verse number 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. 
It's not hard to be humbled when we look at His mighty hand. It is not hard to see my insufficiency when I compare myself to Him. Paul said, I press toward the mark. The mark was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is, we are never going to be sufficient this side of heaven. For us to think otherwise is pure arrogance and pride. Oh, that we could see God in His majesty and His beauty. And oh, that we could see ourselves the way God sees us. Humble ourselves, and it's not hard to do when we do it under the mighty hand of God. That Notice what he says here in verse number 6. That He may exalt you in due time. Whose responsibility is it to exalt us? If there's any exaltation to be done, whose responsibility is it? It's God's. Therefore, I shouldn't worry a bit about it. Shouldn't even worry about it. Now look with me, if you will, in Psalm 63. Psalm 63. And verse number 1. I love this, and I don't know about in your Bible, but in my Bible, the way they printed this, at the beginning of every chapter, they use what's called a drop cap. A drop cap is a large letter. It takes up two or three lines of of print in my Bible. And I love this as I get to this chapter in particular, because it starts with, Oh! (laughs) Oh! Man, this is something that that establishes and expresses a great emotion behind it. As the psalmist cries out, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee, my soul thirsteth for Thee, my flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land. Where no water is. How do we get over apathy? We fall in love with Christ all over again. We have a love for God that that is hungering and thirsting after Him. Oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. Oh, that we could create once again in our hearts... And I'm not talking about a preacher trying to create it in your heart. This is something that has to happen individually in every one of our hearts. I can't make it happen in yours. You can't make it happen in mine. But there ought to come a time in our life where we draw close to the Lord Jesus Christ and it creates a passion and a love for God that we just can't hardly consume. It's one of those things that just bubbles over. It's something that we can't even contain inside. That the God of all heaven is my God is a thought that is beyond my comprehension. And how often we go through life and we do not think of those things. And if we do think of them, they don't seem to stir us or motivate us or excite us. We don't seem to have that thirstiness of being in a dry place and our souls longing for Him. The psalmist wrote in another place, As the heart, H-A-R-T, the deer, the heart, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so long is my soul after thee, O Lord. 
The idea being that we have an absolute passion and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, in my lifetime, we have lost that in our Christian circles. We, we go through the motions of Christianity. We come into a church service, and I am not Pentecostal. I am not charismatic. But I'm going to tell you right now, Baptists ought to wake up. Because we have a mighty God that ought to stir our hearts and we've been scared away of having any kind of emotion. And we end up going through the motions of church and going through the motions of singing our songs, three songs, and greet visitors and have a message and have an invitation and pray and we're out of here in five minutes. Where's the passion for God? Where's the longing for God? I sat in a service years ago when I was a young man. The preacher preached. He said, let's bow our heads in prayer for the invitation. And I thought, boy, that wasn't very long. He didn't give much of a message. And I looked at the clock and it had been two and a half hours of him preaching. The power of God was so real in that place. It wasn't about the time. Man, there's times here that I preach... If I go four minutes after the hour, people are looking back at the clock. When's Brother Greg going to be quiet and sit down? Folks, where's the passion for God? Two sins in our lives that we must battle. Pride. And that's easy enough when we draw close to Him. And apathy. Where's the fervency? Where's the excitement of the Christian life? Where's the joy that when we sing, There shall be showers of blessings, Or there's power in the blood, Power in the blood, Or how great Thou art, How great Thou art, It is well with my soul. And we sing those things and they don't even seem to move us. We hear verses of Scripture. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together and it doesn't stir us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters and our hearts aren't stirred. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. Isaiah said, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Let the world know and the generation to follow the goodness of our God. But we tend to be happy with our methodical Christian lives. Plotting day by day with apathy. One of the great sins, I believe, that must be dealt with in our lives And I'm not preaching to people and saying I've never been through it. You're looking at somebody here that battles these things every single day. And the truth of the matter is, if we're honest with ourselves, you do too. 
And we must gain the victory over them. God's enabled us to. We've just got to get a hold of Him. We must draw nigh to God and allow our humility to be established by His greatness and our position in Him. In apathy, we've just got to start realizing that Boy, He sure is a great God. There's a great work to be done that He's allowed us to be a part of. You ever thought of that? God could have chosen anything He created to do His work. But He chose us. That's exciting. (laughs) Even at 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon after we had lunch, that's exciting. I get to serve God. Tomorrow morning I get to wake up and guess what? I get to do it again. (laughs) And so do you. What a privilege. What a privilege. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for your word.